today's message is actually the second part in a two-part message talking about the ten virgins and Christ's return. And it, it's always a good idea to do a little preview, even for those of you who were here last week and maybe some who did not hear part one. Uh, the message is based upon the parable you find one time in the Bible in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25. If you have your Bibles, you may want to join me turning to Matthew chapter 25, verse 1. Now, some of you have probably heard of sleepwalking before. It has a technical term, somnambulism. Somnambulism. It's not so prevalent among adults, it's more common in children where they might wake up during the night, get up, walk around, uh, do some odd things, perform tasks, and in the morning they have no idea what they did or any memory of it. I heard one story that was very interesting. We did an amazing fact about this on the Bible Answer radio program. Rebecca Armstrong woke up two in the morning, 2005, and heard a commotion outside and looked out the window and saw her husband, Ian, was mowing the lawn, two o'clock in the morning, electric lawnmower, plugged in, no clothes on. <laughs> and I guess maybe he had had a couple of episodes, but nothing quite like that. And she heard that it could be dangerous to wake him up abruptly, so she went downstairs and she unplugged the lawnmower. He continued to mow with the... Uh, depowered lawnmower and she went back upstairs and pretty soon he came wandering, stumbling back upstairs, got into bed. Next morning she talked to him about it. He said, I did no such thing. And uh, the neighbors confirmed that they heard the commotion, opened their windows and saw the whole thing. <laughs> so yeah, a guy out there in his birthday tuxedo mowing the grass, sleepwalking. Sometimes the church does a little bit of sleepwalking. Going through the motions, we don't know what we're doing, and oblivious. Well, let's turn, let's read this parable again, Matthew 25. Of course, it comes on the heels of the Olivet Discourse where Jesus is giving signs of his return. And um, this is part of that. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, such as I have, you'll notice it all continues. Red letter, this is part of the teaching. Jesus begins chapter 25 with the word then. He's commenting on what he had just said before. So it all goes together. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil with them in their vessels. Probably a good time for me to light the lamp at that point. There is an illustration. Uh-huh. Okay. And it says that uh, the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight... A cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. And the wise answered and said, No, lest there should not be enough for us and for you, 
but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Watch. Parable of the ten virgins. Now, quickly, let's review what some of these symbols in the parable represent. And um, first of all, the whole parable is dealing with those who will especially be living before the time of Christ's return. And he's talking about living in a state of expectancy and being prepared. Outwardly, the virgins seem to be doing the same thing. They're all dressed for the wedding. They all have lamps. They all seem to have an interest in the bridegroom. And uh, these represent the virgins uh, that they're prepared, or at least making a profession of preparation for this great wedding feast. Um, one thing you learn right away from the story is right up till the time of the end, you have the true and the false, the sincere and the counterfeit dwelling together. The Bible talks about the wheat and the tares, and sometimes we try to separate the wheat and the tares a little too soon, and we end up pulling up the good wheat. And Jesus said, they're going to abide together till the end. And so you're going to see genuine and counterfeit hypocrites and authentic Christians all commingled up until just before the end. There is a brief time of separation when they go to buy oil for themselves and the five faithful go into the wedding feast. But other than that, they're together till the end. It's like Jesus said, two women grinding at the mill, one is taken, one is left. The true and the false outwardly doing the same thing. So we want to make sure we've got the inward difference. What about the numbers 5 and 10? Well, we mentioned that in the ancient Hebrew tradition, you needed at least 10 people for a wedding to be considered solemnized. They, they, you needed to have uh, at least that many people to, to witness it. And Josephus says there needed to be 10 people in a Jewish community for them to celebrate the Passover. I don't know if that's exactly what the number 10 means. You get 10 commandments, it could mean several things. What about the five? Five in the Bible is often a symbol for uh, the Word of God. The Pentateuch had five books of Moses. And uh, you can read, we're in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man says, but I've got five brethren in my father's house. Uh, but it's hard to say. The number five is found 45 times in the New Testament. So um, I wouldn't make too much of the numbers. It's basically just saying it's a split. Outwardly, they're doing the same things, and they're evenly split. The virgins, they represent those who are professing to believe in Christ. That would be uh, folks of the church. They've got lamps. They've got uh, the right lamp. They might even have the right theology. But there's something wrong. And who would the bridegroom be? That would be Christ. Let me give you a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians 11:2. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I might present you a chaste virgin to Christ. Revelation 21:9. One of the seven angels talk with me saying, Come and I'll show you the bride, the lamb's wife. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. So you've got the bridegroom, the, the bride, and uh, the virgins. We know who that represents. The lamp 
is the Word of God. Do you know how you say lamp in Greek? Lumpus. How many of you can say lumpus? You can tell people now that I can read the Bible in Greek, at least part of it. The word lump or lamp is um, lumpus. It simply means the Word of God. Psalm 119, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 130, The entrance of your words give light. So they got Bibles, these virgins. They've got some oil. You all know that oil can be given in different measure. What is the oil? I'm getting ahead of myself. That's the Holy Spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 13. Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him, David, in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit at his baptism. They would anoint the priest, and it was a symbol of consecration and being given the Spirit for a work. In Zechariah, it tells how the olive trees had pipes that went and kept the candle burning in the temple, and the olive trees provided the olive oil. And so there was a pure olive oil that was used in the sanctuary. This symbolizes the Holy Spirit. Now, they're waiting for the bridegroom to come. This typically happens at night. And in the process of waiting, it takes longer than they expected. So there is an apparent delay. I did a Bible study last night online. I've got to tell you about this with uh, China and so I was zooming and it was streaming on the internet as well as zoom and um, they said there was 270,000 people tuned in for the Bible study it was incredible and he took a picture of the screen capture of the people that they just all shared it with each other it was wonderful but in the study I was also talking about signs of Christ soon coming one of the signs in my mind that Jesus is coming soon is I see that Christ is saying in Matthew 24 and in Matthew 25, there's going to be a time of delay, apparent delay, because God is never late, which is really a time of testing. Those that are faithful will endure to the end. When they saw Moses delayed coming down the mountain, they were tested. When Saul saw that Samuel was delayed coming, he was tested. The Bible tells us that there's going to be a time of uh, testing right before when we're going to think, well, he should have come now. What does it say? Second Peter chapter 3, in the last days, mockers will arise walking after their own lust, saying, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers went to sleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. He's not coming. And that's, uh, those mockers are coming from the church, not the world. The world's always mocked. In the last days, there will be even some people who are supposed to believe in the Advent who have lost faith in the Advent during the time of this testing. They've lost faith in the sure Word of God. Which brings me to my next point. It's about the doctrine of expectancy. This is sort of where we left off last week. Heaven forbid Christians should cease to believe in the imminent return of the Lord and the certain return of the Lord. There is a sanctifying influence in every believer from the days of the apostles to our present day. We should never lose that excitement about the Lord coming soon. And you're thinking, Pastor Doug, it's been 2,000 years. How can you talk about soon? My grandfather said he's coming soon. He's dead. And then my father, and he's dead. World War I, they said, this is it. He's coming soon. And here we are, 
whole different century. Well, Peter said, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. By the way, we're right now at about 6,000 years from Christ. And then we're going to spend a thousand years with the Lord living and reigning in heaven like a Sabbath. We're right now at the sundown of the world. Don't lose faith now, friends. The bridegroom is coming. Titus 2, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a good verse. It not only says that Jesus is a Savior, it says our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for it. We're to be looking for His coming. 2 Peter 3, 14, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found of Him without spot and in peace and blameless. 1 John 2 I'm sorry, 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3. We know that when He is revealed, we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He is. Notice this. Everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What hope? The hope in the return of the Lord. There is a sanctifying, purifying influence in our believing in the near coming of the Lord. If you thought you were going to die next week, would that have an impact on you spiritually? Are there some things that you might be doing differently? Would it be a little easier for you to resist and overcome temptation? Well, you know what, friends? We don't have long. What is our life? The Bible says it's like a, it's like a breath that comes and goes, like the grass that springs up in the morning and the heat scorches it by the end of the day. Compared to eternity, what is 70, 80, 90 years? What is that? It's nothing. So when the Bible says, be ready, in such an hour as you think not, we don't know when we're going to die. Not everybody get a doctor's notice and says you've got six months, and sometimes they're wrong, and you've got two months. Sometimes they're wrong, and you live longer. We don't know when we have our last heartbeat or our last breath. We're always supposed to be living in the expectancy because if you die, your next conscious thought is the resurrection and seeing the Lord. So, and when the Lord does come, I can promise most of the world will say it was too soon. They won't say it was too late. So, don't lose that sense of his expectancy. You know, a Christian needs to have that appropriate balance of planning for a thousand years and living as though each day could be your last. So, we need to plan ahead. You need to think ahead. But you need to live with a holiness as though this could be your last day. And then it says, during this time of apparent delay, what happens to all ten, wise and foolish? They go to sleep. Now, I've heard some pastors dissect this parable, and they say, well, there's nothing wrong with sleep. Sleep is good. Sleep is healthy. And we're not talking about the health message. We're talking about sleeping spiritually. Sleep is bad in this story. Jesus said, watch. What does he mean? As opposed to sleeping. It's hard to watch while you're sleeping. I used to be a security guard, and it was so hard because, you know, you go on duty at 12, and you work until like 8 in the morning, and, and boy, I'll tell you, just before the sun came up, trying to stay awake because I knew as soon as I fell asleep, I wasn't watching anymore. Trying to stay awake at that time of day, and I, I would slap myself. I'd do all these crazy things to try to stay awake. They all slept. Jesus says, Matthew 25, watch therefore. Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray. This is the next chapter when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What does he tell the disciples? They went to sleep. He said, pray with me. What did they do instead of praying? 
they went to sleep. And Jesus said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. What's the risk if we fall asleep at the critical hour? We fall into temptation. Watch and pray. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 5. I'm sorry, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 4. I've mentioned I'm dyslexic. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Yes, even the faithful virgins went to sleep. There are some saved people out there that are unaware of the time in which we're living. And you know, they're not doing much about sharing their faith right now. They're sleeping as our final opportunities are escaping to share the good news. Mark 13, just read this during scripture reading. Watch therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, or the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning. So it doesn't matter what hour of the day, day or night. Watch. Lest coming suddenly he finds you doing what? Sleeping. Now, one way I could sum up the sermon, wake up. That would be real simple. We had to wake up. I hear people say all the time, boy, look at all that's happening in the world. I mean, certainly the Lord is coming soon. It's like they wake up and they go back to sleep. They wake up for a moment to say, sure, near the end. <clears throat> now, you know, my problem, I struggle sometimes sleeping. And if I wake up during the night, I pray I can go back to sleep or I wake up tired the next day. But this is the opposite of that. We're praying we can wake up and stay awake, right? Luke 9.32, Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration. The God, the Father, is speaking to them, Elijah and Moses. And it says, Peter and those with him, Peter, James, and John, were heavy with sleep. And finally, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. I don't know if you want to underline that in your Bible. I'll give it to you again. Luke 9.32, when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. Some people have missed the glory of God because they're asleep. Has God's glory changed since yesterday? Problem is not God's glory. Problem is that we're sleeping and we're unaware of his glory. Isaiah 56.10, his watchmen are blind. They're all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. Don't take that up with me. He said that. They cannot bark sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Not only people in the pews that are sleeping, sometimes it's the pastors in the pulpit that are putting the people in the pews to sleep. Someone said one time that if there's a mist in the pulpit, there is a fog in the pew. And we need pastors to wake up as well and be preaching about the second coming. Jesus did, we should. Have you noticed that when you're asleep, you're in a fantasy world. You're thinking crazy things. And I never know quite what to do when people call our Bible answer program and they say, Pastor Doug or Pastor Ross, I've had this dream. And then they start to relate the most bizarre thing and we're supposed to tell them what that means. <laughs> I said, I mean, that's pizza late at night. That's what that means. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I'm not Joseph. When you're sleeping... You know, sometimes I take a nap during the day, 
I try to every day, just lay down for a few minutes. I find if I can rest, if I can lose consciousness, you know, they call it a power nap. If I can lose consciousness for just 20 seconds, it makes a difference. I notice it. It's like your brain reboots. Any of you know what I'm talking about? And um, sometimes I'm wondering, I was laying there, I'm thinking, did I sleep? And I don't know if I slept. But then I realized if I was thinking crazy things and forgot where I was, I was probably asleep. Now, I'm not encouraging that. I'm just saying that when you're sleeping, you're not thinking straight. So we need to be awake and conscious and aware. Now, when does this cry reverberate in the parable? Then at midnight, at the darkest hour, what does that mean at the darkest hour? Well, a couple things. Notice in Exodus 12, verse 29, it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. When did the plague hit the Egyptians that signaled the Israelites going to freedom? At midnight. What does it mean when we hear that cry, the bridegroom is coming, we are about to be rescued from Egypt? Amen? The Lord's going to take us out of this land of bondage. Look in Judges 16, verse 3. And Samson lay low until midnight. And he arose at midnight. He took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two gateposts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders. He overcame the gates of the enemy. When? At midnight. Acts 16, 25. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Here they were in jail. They were praying and singing to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. People notice if you're witnessing through trials. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, and the foundations of the prison... Will there be a great earthquake when Jesus comes? And the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. There's going to be a great liberation and salvation of God's people during that time. They'll be saved from their prisons and their bondage at midnight since the prison doors were open. Now, midnight not only represents this great deliverance, midnight represents what is the condition of the world spiritually when Jesus comes. Darkness covers the land. Isaiah 60, verse 2, gross darkness covers the earth. Deep darkness covers the people. What did Jesus say the conditions will be before he comes? As it was in the days of Noah, when the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually and where violence filled the world. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot. I don't know how much more like Lot, Lot's days it could get. I hope not much more. But I think we're seeing these things fulfilled, friends. Spiritual and moral darkness. At midnight. It's also midnight in many respects, spiritually with the church, with the beast telling people that they must worship the image of the beast. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's a time of great spiritual darkness at midnight. And then what happens? Suddenly. The Lord comes. Suddenly there's a cry. At midnight the cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. 
I remember I went to a summer camp. They used to play pranks on each other. And one time I, I had a prank played on me where they took a five-gallon bucket, probably wasn't full, but two and a half gallons of ice water, and they threw it on me in the morning. And when I jumped up, they took a picture of me. It was actually at night, and I couldn't see who did it because they flashed right in my eyes with the camera flash. And all I had done was put dead sharks under the girl's tent. I don't know why they got so upset. But I remember one kid, someone went right up to his head in the morning, and they had a trumpet, and he was sleeping. And they went, what? And, you know, you see the look on his face when he wakes up and his hair stands up straight and he's got his trumpet blowing in his ears. That's how it's going to be for many. It's going to be a shock. They will be as surprised as when all of a sudden Pharaoh's army noticed that the Red Sea was closing in around them and they had nowhere to go. Suddenly, there's a cry. Once that cry sounds, friends, it's over. The saved are saved, the lost are lost. Jesus said, for as lightning shines from the east even to the west, so the coming of the Son of Man will be. As Elijah and Elisha walked together, suddenly a chariot of fire came down and separated the two of them. Now this is where you notice that there's a big difference. Some have made a preparation. You notice that it's not that complicated to say what's the difference between the wise and the foolish. They're the same in almost every respect except the wise take their lamps with a reserve of oil. The foolish do not. Now you notice I, uh, I lit those about the same time. The skinny candle was taller than the big candle. The skinny candle is burning down faster. Same size wick same wax, which one do you think is going to burn the longest? The one that's got the reserve is going to last longer. What does it mean when it says that the wise took extra oil in their lamps? They all had some oil. Do you know the Holy Spirit can be given in different degrees? The apostles had the Holy Spirit when they served with Jesus and they were out teaching, but did something different happen at Pentecost? It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. People in the last days need the latter rain of the Holy Spirit. That means we need to have vessels that are available for filling. And if your vessel is all full of other things, you can't have any room to store the Holy Spirit. It also means these people are sealed with the Holy Spirit when Jesus comes. Oil reserves. You know, friends, there is a time to be greedy. To hoard. Kind of greedy is not the right word. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting it. It was immeasurable. He hoarded the grain. Why? Because there was a famine coming. On the ark, Noah stored extra, more than you'd need for a day. Psalm 119, your word I have hidden in my heart. Friends, have you got the word of God stored away? Ecclesiastes, Solomon said, there's a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep. There's a time to gather and a time to cast away. Paul says in Hebrews that some of us are like babies. We're just living on the milk and we need to grow up and live on the meat. 
Now, this is not a message about the benefits of vegetarianism. Meat just means food there. It means solid food. Have you noticed that babies need to eat more often? Is that right? Yeah, you know why? Because it's milk. It just doesn't last long. Have you ever noticed that if you eat Chinese food, you're hungry an hour later? Is that true? Has anyone ever done like a Mythbuster study on that? I know, like if you have, you know, a meal of chop suey noodles, it's like pre-digested anyway. You're, you're hungry three hours later and you think, I just ate all this food. Well, baby food is that way. The Bible says we need to start eating the meat of the Word. You know, and I have breakfast in the morning, and I, I put together this big bowl of mixed grains and things I put together and dried fruit, and I use some uh, almond milk, and, and uh, they say it sticks to your ribs. I can go 10 hours on that. It's solid food. I don't like to go 10 hours, but if I have to, I can. <laughs> so we can't just be eating baby food all the time. And a lot of churches, they, all the people are getting is just this you know, love, grace, happy, slappy. They're not getting stuff. Repent of your sins. Live a life of holiness. Understand the depth of the Word of God. If, if we're ever going to grow up and eat solid food, wouldn't it be the people living just before the second coming that would finally get it together and say, we're going to study? Amen. Pastor Ross announced in his class this morning the pastors of the Granopee Church are going to begin a study on the Bible, the history of the Bible, translations of the Bible, the books of the Bible, and we hope that you come. We want to get in deep and talk about what is the Bible? Where does it come from? I think that'll be a blessing and edifying for everybody. So we need to store. And so the foolish virgins, they come to the wise and they say, Hey, sister, can you help me out? Uh, it looks like while we were waiting, my oil was running out. I went to trim the wick, and as I pulled it up, it just kept burning the wick because there's no oil left. We're not going to make it to the wedding. You've got a little reserve. Can you share? And what's the answer? Are these selfish, the five saved virgins? Are they selfish? You know, that oil is something that each person must pursue and obtain on their own. There are some people come to church and somehow they figure they're going to get in on the shirt tails of their associations with others. Everybody needs to know Jesus as a personal Savior. You need to have your own quiet devotions with God. You need to have your own personal relationship with God. Nobody's going to be saved based on the salvation of another. The Bible says a father cannot deliver his son by his righteousness, and a son cannot deliver his father by his righteousness. The righteousness of the righteous will be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon him. It's Ezekiel 18, I believe. We all need to have our own relationship. Though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in the land, they will deliver neither son nor daughter. They will each be delivered by their own righteousness that righteousness that we individually obtain by a saving relationship with Jesus. We need to have our own relationship, friends, with the Lord. Character, from the book Christ's Object Lessons, is not transferable. Nobody can believe for another. It wasn't that those virgins were being selfish or stingy with their oil. They knew that it just was not possible. They said, if we give you ours, then none of us will make it in. But we planned for what happened. We plan on going in based on that. You did not prepare. You cannot go in. 
You know, there's a time that comes when probation closes. We see that in this story. Amos 8, verse 11 and 12, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I'll send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. And they'll wander from sea to sea and from north to east, and they will run to and fro and seek the word of the Lord, but will not find it. You know, there's a time when it gets where it's too late to buy your own oil. Right now, there's time. Midnight is not the time to go looking for the oil, friends. Amen? And then it says in those frightening words that the door was shut. As a time comes when probation closes and the door is shut. I remember hearing a story years ago about this man. His job was to man the lighthouse on this rocky eastern coast where there was some reefs and it was dangerous for the ships. And, and the state provided him with a supply of oil every month. And they would bring the oil out to the island where the lighthouse was and there was a town there and they would give him his month's supply of oil. And that's back, I think, when they used whale oil and it was very expensive. But as the month would wear on, sometimes someone would come and they'd say, Brother so-and-so, you know, I've, I've run out of oil for our stove or I've run out of oil for the lamp or I need a little oil for my shop because of my tools and just a little bit. And he said, all right. You know, and he started sharing oil with the neighbors and he found out that he got favors back when he shared some of the oil. And then one month, he had been a little too generous with everybody else and a big storm came through and in the middle of the storm, the lighthouse light went out. Several ships were wrecked on the reef and countless lives were lost. During the investigation, they asked the lighthouse keeper, they said, what happened? He said, well, I ran out of oil. Why? Well, I was giving it. And it's, they sounded like good needs. And they said, the only purpose for that light, that oil, was to keep the light burning. It was not to be given away. And the priority of us all having our own relationship with the Lord and having that light is the most important thing. But then it says the door was shut. Matthew 25, verse 10 while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in. Notice that, friends. Those who were ready went in. Jesus also says, be therefore ready. Are you ready? Those who went in went to buy. There's a time coming, Matthew, I'm sorry, uh, Revelation 22, 11. Jesus will declare, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. Now is when we need to learn how to have lives and characters of holiness and righteousness before the door is shut, before it's too late. Jeremiah shares that frightening verse in Jeremiah 8, verse 20. Many of the lost will declare the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now, I've done a lot of flying, and you want to be on time for a flight. Now, I know flights can be late, and sometimes flights can be canceled, but it's very unforgiving if your flight is on time and you're late. Not too often do they wait for a passenger who's late, because they've got a whole network and schedule that interacts on that. And I remember one time I had to catch an, a, a flight to speak at a men's retreat and I 
I waited a little long, longer than I should have. I got distracted with other things. And as I'm getting to the airport, I thought, no, I'll be okay. I'll make it. And you know, I'm going through security. And I've gone through security so many times. I know, I know my belt buckle will not make it through. I take off my belt, even though they say you don't have to. I've got tired of being stopped. I take off my belt. I take my chapstick out of my pocket. It might set it off. Anything. I take my cap off because it's got a little metal button in the top of my baseball cap. I don't want to stop. And so that day I was especially careful. Don't stop in security. Take everything off. I mean, not everything, you know. <laughs> you know what I meant. And then I go through and it goes beep. I go, I said, my plane's leaving. And they said, well, can you stand right here, sir? You've been randomly selected. And I said, well, can you randomly search me right now? I said, my gate is right there. And I could see my gate. And everybody had been boarding. And the door is open. The flight attendant's there. She's checking the last few people kind of dribbling through, you know, and she's checking their tickets. I'm going, <laughs> I know when they close that door, they don't have much mercy. So you wait here, sir. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. I'm getting, I'm getting really frustrated and they're short-staffed or something like that. Sure enough, I see her close the door. That's right. You hear that collective moan? And, and that was empathetic. I really appreciated your feeling for me. And there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Finally, he checks me out. I run in. I said, I see the plane. It's right there. I said, let me on. She says, I'm sorry. They've shut the door. And I watched. You know what standby means? It means you stand by and watch your plane take off. <laughs> I had to catch another plane. I did make it to the meeting. Had to take a long roundabout trip. But that's a terrible feeling when the door is shut. Now, that's just missing a flight. I can't imagine the feeling of having the door shut and the Lord then saying, I'm sorry, I don't know you. You know why he says he doesn't know them? Because their lights are out. He doesn't see their faces. There are no wedding crashers at that great wedding, friends. That's why we've got to be ready now. We need to have a relationship with him now. We need to have a reserve of not only the Holy Spirit, of the Word, hiding the Word of God in our heart that we might not sin against Him. Spending time on our knees, learning how to walk in the Spirit. So when that time comes, we are filled with the Spirit and sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's not enough that we're baptized in water. Praise God for those baptisms today. But the Bible says, unless you are born of the water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord will say, I don't know you. And they're so sincere. Lord, Lord what they say in Matthew 7 Lord Lord he says I don't know you not everyone that says Lord Lord but he that does the will of my father in heaven so those five wise virgins have the Holy Spirit and they've got the fruits of the Spirit in their lives amen